Right, well, wonderful. Oh, you can see the snow when you stand up here, can't you? Look at that. Right. Was that a big... That a, oh, I don't like snow. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I'll be as quick as I can then, so you're not kind of snowed in by the time we're done. All right. I won't keep us too long. I don't think it's going to get to that point. So, wonderful to be here again. Really good. Continuing on, um, looking at John's Gospel. And as Nigel says, we're up to... We're still in chapter one. We're looking at the testimony um, of John the Baptist, as he's known. And I'm going to read some verses for us now. I'm going to start reading in chapter one of John's Gospel. I'm starting at verse 19... And I'm going to read through to verse 28. I don't worry. I know last time I was here, we've already done some of this. All right. So I'm just continuing on. I'm not going back to the beginning and covering the stuff we've already done. But <laughs> this is what it says. It says, now this was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing Amen. They're the words of our Lord, as they're recorded in John's Gospel for us. And it wasn't last week I was here talking about it, because obviously last week we had the wonderful dedication service. All still good, John? Good stuff. Um, so it was two weeks ago when we were here, looking at this particular piece of scripture. And if you remember, I talked about the first few verses within this piece of scripture and we talked about how John the Baptist recognized in the age in Israel in that time in Israel how decadent Israel was how worldly it was and what they needed was the truth of the word and we spoke about how that's not changed how 2,000 years ago it was like that in Israel how I think we went 600 years or 400 years ago here in England and then 200 years ago here in England, and nowadays here in England, and we're still in the same place. The world still needs the word. And John the Baptist recognised that. And that's what he gave them. And he, I, I remember we said about him, um, when he was talking, he was asked those three questions. And you can see in his answers, he's getting more and more frustrated we've been asking, asked the question. So you remember the first question, are you the Messiah? He said, I'm not the Messiah. He answered with five words. The second question, are you Elijah? I'm not. He answered with three words. And then he gets asked, are you the prophet? And he says, no. One word. The answers are getting more and more curt each time, aren't they? So he's getting fed up 
with the questions that they're asking. And the reason he's getting fed up with the questions that they're asking, because they're all asking about him. They're all asking about him. And all he's interested in is telling people about the one who is to come after him. About how much more important and superior and, and everything that you can ever imagine this person is to come after him than he is. He's interested towards Jesus. And so today I'm picking up in verse 22. And it's the bit where these people continue on with the questioning of John. They keep going. And this time the question becomes, who are you? What do you say of yourself? They want some word out of John the Baptist. I'm going to ask you, if you were asked that question, or if those two questions, who are you, and what do you say of yourself? How would you answer? Would you start giving off, I don't know, your CV? Who your mum and dad were, your heritage, where you came from, what you've done in life, all the things you've achieved, what you're doing now, any positions that you hold? How would you answer that question? How did John answer the question? John the Baptist. What do you think he would say if you didn't know what we'd just read? You see, one of the reasons we know about John the Baptist, and we don't know about all those other hundreds and thousands of preachers that they've been that have gone through the years and have faded off into insignificance, is because of the fact he replied in the way that he did. Because God was with him. John the Baptist replied to that question with this. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What do you say of yourself, John? John replied with the words of Isaiah the prophet. John didn't give his CV. He didn't give his background. He didn't give all the stuff that he'd done. When John was asked the question, who are you, John? What do you say of yourself? He gave them the word again. He gave them the words of Isaiah the prophet. In all four of the Gospels, and I know we're looking particularly at John's Gospel, but in all four of the Gospels, John is the voice. John the Baptist is the voice. He identifies himself as the voice that Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 40. He clearly states he's not the prophet. He clearly states he's not the Messiah. He clearly states he's not Elijah. He says, I'm just a voice. And John the Baptist's real function wasn't to teach morality to Israel. It wasn't to instruct Israel how to live. But his real ministry 
was to clear the way for the king. He says, I'm the one. John the Baptist says, I'm the one who goes out and tells people the king is coming. And furthermore, he says, believe in him. Don't believe in me. Trust in him. Don't trust in died and resurrected. He met these disciples of John near Ephesus on one of his journeys. And we've been doing about Ephesus, haven't we? We've done about Ephesus in, in the Bible study. And he recognized there's something different about them, something strange about them. They didn't know that the Holy Spirit was present. So he says to them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And their response was, we haven't even heard that the Spirit has come. Paul goes on to say to them, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told, John told, the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. Paul says that John preached about a coming saviour. And he baptised for the remission of sins in light of the fact that there was a coming saviour. So to him he was just a voice. He's a herald. Anyone ever use that word anymore? A herald. Doesn't get used that often anymore. A herald is someone who announces that a king is coming. A herald is the king sends out a herald before the king gets there or the queen and says, go herald, go and tell people about this what I want to tell them. That's what a herald does. John the Baptist was the herald of the king, Jesus, who is to come. And in the verses that we read from John's gospel today, he kind of alludes to a custom in ancient times, which was very, very common when a king or some important person was coming to a city or a town or a little village. And the custom was that everybody would go out into the streets and if the roads were bumpy, potholes in them. I know these, yeah, they had potholes then. We, I know we have loads now, but they had potholes then as well. If the roads were bumpy or uneven and an important person was coming to the town or the city or the village, they would rush out and they'd build a new road or they'd fill the holes in they'd cover them and this was called making smooth the way preparing the way and when John the Baptist speaks and when Isaiah was speaking they were speaking metaphorically about preparing the way for the king make the way smooth make the road flat don't let it be bumpy the king's coming prepare for his arrival And more often than not, before the king comes, there's this ambassador, there's a herald, there's someone who comes to say, the king's on his way. That was John's ministry. That was the role that God gave John the Baptist to do. He was the ambassador of the king. So he says, I'm just a voice. I don't have a posh CV. 
I've not got a, a biograph- an autobiographical account of everything that I've done. I've not got someone who's written my life up for me. I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then the questioning moves on again. So that's the answer he's given. When he's saying, John, what about you? What do you say of yourself? I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness about the one that is to come. Then they ask him even more questions. What about this baptism then, John, eh? Why are you baptising if you're just a voice? It says, doesn't it? Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? You see, John's baptism was different. To the, they had baptism at the time already. So they had this thing called proselyte, or proselyte, I don't know how you pronounce it, proselyte baptism. So basically, this was a practice that grew up between Old Testament and New Testament times. Okay. And it was basically when a Gentile, so someone who wasn't a Jew, when a Gentile became convinced that the God of the Jewish tradition, the Jewish religion, was the one true God and wanted to become a Jew, they had this proselyte baptism. That's the kind of baptism that existed at the time. So there are examples in Scripture. So Lydia is a good example in Scripture. And there are others in the New Testament, in Book of Acts, who were proselytes to the faith. Okay? So this kind of baptism existed. It was when a Gentile wanted to become like a Jew, or wanted to be brought into the Jewish religion. All right. And the Gentile will come and say, yeah, I'm convinced that Yahweh is the true God. I want to be a part of that. Well, the way to become a Jew, or the way to be brought into being considered in that way, was to be baptised, first of all. And secondly, you then had to offer a sacrifice. It was part of the, the law, part of Levitical law. And a gift would be offered. And it was those three things that had to be met. Those three, three criteria. You had to be baptised, sacrifice, and a gift. And then you're in the Jewish club as a Gentile. But there was a difference between the way John baptised and those baptisms happened. You see, in the proselyte baptism... The person would baptise himself. The person would do it themselves, take themselves into the water and baptise themselves. They would immerse themselves. Then they would go and then they would go and offer the gift, and then they would become a member of the Jewish faith. But look at the way John does it. John the Baptist comes along and he preaches faith in the king who is to come. He talks about a coming Messiah. In fact, when baptized by John in token of their faith, and it talks about receiving forgiveness of sin. Now the difference between John's baptism and the proselyte baptism, in the first place, John baptized them. They didn't baptize themselves. John did it. So John evidently felt there was some sort of authority in what he was doing. 
But the main thing, the main thing that, that made John's baptism different was that he baptised Jews as well. So he wasn't just baptising Gentiles to bring them into the faith. He was baptising Jews too. I want you to think about that. You see, in other words, by what John was doing, he gave testimony by the baptisms that he was performing that Jews need saving just as much as Gentiles do. And in the same way, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was saying, look, just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean you're saved. He was telling Israel, he was telling the Jewish nation that one must have faith, personal faith in the Messiah who was to come. So he's asked that question, why are you baptising John? His answer is very plain, very clear again. He knows that it's not for just anyone to come along and institute a new ritual. He knows that he hasn't got absolute authority to start doing stuff like that. Only God has the authority to do stuff like that. Only God has the authority to institute those types of things. So listen to what he says. When he's asked that question, John the Baptist replies and says, I baptise with water. He says, my baptism is only a water baptism. And then the other Gospels fill in the gaps about the other, the other things that John said. He said, there comes one after me. He will baptise with the Holy Spirit. To be baptised by the Holy Spirit is entirely different from just being baptised in water. He says, I baptise in water. Furthermore, among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. He's really the one who is the Messiah. I'm not going to go into too much depth around baptism in water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., but I want to point out that it's not the baptising in the water that does the saving. John is saying, my baptising in the water isn't saving you. John points out the lowliness of his own work, the lowliness of his own ministry in comparison to what the Lord Jesus will do. And I want you to look at the statement that John makes in verse 27. He says, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Or depending on what translation of the Bible you got, it talks about a latchet that you can't loose or he's not fit to loose. In other words, John the Baptist lowers himself in order that the Lord Jesus might be seen. And sometimes we miss the point of that. 
I want to underline what John's really saying by his words. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Not worthy. Teachers in those days, in Palestine, ancient Palestine, weren't paid. It would be a terrible thing, or it would have been considered a terrible thing to ask for money for divine teaching. Because there's an obvious conflict of interest there. Some would argue that you shouldn't be paid now. But that's a different, again, that's a different talk altogether. So teachers weren't paid anything. They looked to the Lord to supply the funds. They were given gifts. And they had to be given gifts in order to be able to live. But they were supported by individuals who were blessed by their teaching. And now we're talking about disciples of teachers. Disciples of teachers could help them. They could do things for the teachers. But do you know the one thing that a disciple of a teacher wouldn't do? Take that teacher's sandals off. The one thing that was below a disciple of a teacher to do was to take his sandals off. Even that was too low. Only a servant. That was so low a task, so menial a task, that only a servant could do it. A disciple could do every other thing that a servant could do for a teacher, but couldn't untie his sandals. Too low a task. So I want you to understand how low John is putting himself compared to Jesus. How low he's putting himself when he says, I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. I'm not even fit to loosen the latchet. Awesome in his being. He is so glorious in all that he is, that I'm not even fit to be his servant. That's John's testimony. That's John's testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a story of a man about 300 years ago who went to Scotland to hear the preachers that they had up there. And about 300 years ago, there were, there were some incredible preachers up in Scotland, incredible heritage that they got up there. And you may or may not recognize some of the names, but they did. So this guy goes up to Scotland and he made his job, he made it his job to go and listen to a couple of these preachers preach. He went to St. Andrews, first of all, and he went to listen to a fellow called Robert Blair. And he comes back and he says, that man showed me the majesty of God. And then after that, he heard a guy called Samuel Rutherford, who actually now is buried in St. Andrews. He heard a guy called Samuel Rutherford, one of the men most responsible for the Westminster Confession of Faith. And he heard Samuel Rutherford, and he came back and he said, that man showed me the loveliness of Jesus Christ. And then he travels across Scotland, and he goes to a place called Irving, 
and he goes to hear a talk by a guy called David Dixon. And he was at the time one of the more elderly but well-favoured preachers in Scotland. And he said, that man, he showed me all my heart. And I want you to think about those three things that he said about those preachers. Because that's what good preachers do. Good preachers show us the majesty of God. They show us the loveliness of Jesus Christ. And they show us all our heart. What we really are. And therefore, why we need the loveliness of Jesus Christ. And why we need the majesty of God. And why we should be stirred to worship and praising him for all that he is. And all that he's done and all that he will be. Coming back to John the Baptist. Towards the end of what we read, he also reveals here that man is blind. He says there's a person among you. He stands among you and you don't know him. It's an indirect criticism of the stupidity and the blindness of man. And John is seeming to say, you can never un- you're asking me these questions, you can never understand my work until you understand him. You can't understand the ministry that God has given me until you understand him. For the understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit... That's the key. That's the secret. That's what John the Baptist is trying to show to people. Did you notice that John the Baptist's testimony is almost, almost entirely in negatives? I'm not the Messiah. Not Elijah. No. I am the, and then he goes to a positive. I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. He puts down any position for himself. He denies any kind of position for himself. John's theme, John's point, is the teaching of Jesus Christ. The centrality and the excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what matters to John the Baptist. John is only a voice. His baptism is only in water. The two things for which John the Baptist might have been most highly known and most regarded, he says, are not important. He doesn't even want a name. He just says, I'm a voice. And the biggest work that he had, it's even said after his name, John the Baptist, he's still known for it now, but he puts it down. He says, I only baptize in water, he baptizes in the Spirit. He says, there's no sufficiency whatsoever in what I'm doing. It's merely a baptism in water. All sufficiency, everything, all sufficiency exists in Jesus. And so for Israel at the time, a decadent nation, just as we are now, so it's relevant to us, John said, only the Lord Jesus Christ can deliver. And it remains just as true today. John pointed to him. He pointed away from the law of Moses. He pointed away from the Jewish religion. He pointed away from everything entrusting in yourself. 
pointed to having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a guy called Wesley. Some of you will know of Wesley and the things that he did. But he always said this. Wesley said, when he came to a village, he simply came to town and offered them Jesus Christ and nothing else. That was the witness of John the Baptist. That's the witness of good preaching. If you go and you listen to anyone on, on telly or you go somewhere, do they offer you Jesus Christ? Do they lead you to Jesus Christ? Do they point you to Jesus Christ? The Jesus Christ of the Scriptures. The Jesus Christ according to the theology that we're soon all going to be singing in our Christmas hymns. Full of theology, Christmas hymns. Full. Even classic FM is playing stuff that's full of theology and they don't even know it. The Word, the Light, the Messiah, the Way, the Truth and the Life. I'll finish with this. We haven't heard the end of John the Baptist's testimony yet. Because he goes on to talk about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's for another week. Read it. Look at it. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He is the King. He stands in our midst. He is of such an exalted character, I do not even have the position of a slave before him. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals can't even loosen the straps John says he's the one who came after me but he's superior to me because he was before me in all eternity past he's the word who was God who became flesh who dwelt amongst us whose glory we have beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I pray this morning that God would minister to you, to us, through the testimony of John the Baptist. Let it be a blessing to you. Let it be a guide to how when you're asked the question, who are you? What do you say about yourself? Are we going to be like John was and point to Jesus? I pray that it will be. Particularly this time when people are asking questions about it. You know, when they ask about, why do you go to church? Why are you going to church at Christmas? I'll tell you why. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. He's the King. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of your servant, John, that we can read, that we can, that we can look into, that we can learn so much more about you and him with. Father, help us to apply it. Help it not just to be words on a page, but Lord, as you say, help it to be living to us. Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we will be able to serve you in a better way. Lord, that we will be able to stand before people and give testimony of you. That you will be lifted up 
and that you will be glorified. Keep us safe this week and bring us back when we meet again. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.